man, that actually is one of my favorite songs, just so you know. He is worthy. He is. Hope you've had a good weekend so far. Uh, I sledded, or went sledding, I guess. Sledded is not really a word. I made it up just now. I went sledding this afternoon for like the first time in a decade, and I don't know that I would have had the courage to do it had I seen the injuries that were possible beforehand. But good news is, made it down alive. I only have a bruised kneecap to show for it. It's not too bad. And it was like, you know how you like go up off the hill and then you can like smack your knee down on the ice? It doesn't feel very good. So there's that. Uh, but otherwise, it was a super fun afternoon. I was thankful to get to do that. Hopefully, you've had a good time uh, this weekend uh, and are just enjoying yourself because it's winter meltdown. I am, have been looking forward to going through this text of scripture tonight for probably about two months. I'm super, super excited for our time together, and here's why. Because there's just about 300 students in this chapel, and if half of you would take seriously what Paul is writing in Colossians, and if I would take seriously what Paul is writing in Colossians, I don't know that your communities, that your church, that your town is ready for the kind of impact that that would have for eternity. The reality here tonight is that if we would take the truths that we see and, and say, Jesus is the greatest treasure that I could ever have. He's better than anything I could ever run after. He is the greatest thing in my life. And there is nothing in the universe that rivals with him. And we would believe what scripture says and the songs that we just sang. I'm telling you right now, the world and the communities that you're in are going to be flipped upside down. And I'm not just saying that because we're at camp. It's true that God wants to use you and he wants to use me in significant ways. And if we would just take seriously the truths of scripture, man, I get, I get pumped just to think of what God could do <clears throat> with a group this size. So I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. So turn there with me real quick. I'm going to read the passage together so we kind of know it and see where we're going. And then I'm going to pray with us tonight. Colossians 1, 24 through 29, it says this. Now, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. To make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Which is Christ in you the hope of glory. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. This is God's word. Would you pray with me tonight? Lord, 
We've sung about it. We've prayed it. And we've seen it in scripture. But you are good. You are worthy. And you are above all of creation. And there is nothing in this world that rivals you. And Lord, it is mind-boggling for us to think that somebody so big and so powerful would love us in our rebellion and in our sin, and yet you do, you're a good father. But for many of us here tonight, we're walking through difficulties and circumstances that are hard, and it doesn't actually feel like you're good. And so we actually struggle to believe at times that you're good because we see our situation and we say, how could a God who is powerful and good allow me to walk through the things that I'm going through? And Lord, I pray that tonight we would have maybe a change of mind about suffering, that we would have a change of mind about what it means to sacrifice for the gospel. And Lord, my prayer tonight is that many, many, many young people in this chapel would take seriously the call that you've given us and the privilege that you've given us to sacrifice and to suffer for the sake of the gospel because Jesus is worth it. Lord, thank you for the ways that you've shown that to me. Thank you for the ways that you've shown that to many people here tonight. And Lord, I pray that we would just go deeper and deeper into that understanding tonight through your word. I pray that you'd use the spirit of God and the word of God in our lives to bring clarity tonight about who you are and what you've called us to do. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know if you remember this, but earlier in the summer, there was, at least in Des Moines, it may not have made it all across Iowa, but there was a thunderstorm. And following said thunderstorm, there was a sunset. And I'm telling you, Psalm says the heavens declare the glory of God and the glory of God was on display in a big way. Let me just paint this picture for you. Over yon, orange, lots of it, huge sunset going on. Right here in the middle, pink cotton candy clouds with the backdrop of like navy blue and coming down from pink cotton candy clouds, little Jesus rays like what you imagine when the Lord comes back going on right there. Over here, pink, blue, I almost said green, there wasn't green, orange, yellow, gray, and it's just kind of like mixed together like Vincent Van Gogh kind of thing going on with like lightning coming out. And I'm like, the only thing we're missing here is a tornado somewhere and just like flamingos flying out of it or something. I had no idea, but it was amazing. And it's just like boom and boom and boom and lightning and pink and sunset and Jesus rays and everything is just like blowing up in the sky. It was crazy. It's like one of those nights where you're taking out your phone and you're like, and then you get back to the house, you're like, ah, man, that's not it. It's like amazing. And maybe I'm just weird, but this is how my brain thinks. Because over yon, on this tree, there's a little bird just chirping like it's going out of style. And I'm like, dude, good job declaring the glory of God, but I'm kind of busy right now looking at this. I'm sure that you are here for a purpose, but this cloud is like amazing, this lightning coming down is amazing. Like these Jesus rays that are just like protruding from this pink cotton candy cloud is like, what is going on? 
Good job, little birdie, declaring the glory of God, but there's something way cooler going on. I'm sorry. That's how my brain thinks. Now, as much as both are like cool declaring the glory of God, and as much as these clouds are just amazing, and bird is like less amazing, both are needed, right? Both are needed that God created the universe. He created everything to display and to declare his glory because he's worthy, right? But the greatest way that God's glory has been made known in history is not chirping little bird. For some reason, my name, the name I've given him is Steve. It's just like, is attached to my brain. It's like, hey, that's Steve. The greatest way that God's glory has been made known in history is not Steve. It's not pink cotton candy clouds. It's not cool thunder and lightning. The greatest way that God has made his glory known in history is through the death of his son on a cross. That God's glory shines most clearly on the cross. It is through the cross that God reconciles God and man. And that is the clearest example, the most explicit display of God's glory that has been on display in all of history. is the death of Jesus on the cross. And in verses 15 through 20 of Colossians that we saw this morning, Paul paints this huge picture of who Jesus is. We see that he is fully God and fully man. He is above all of creation. There is nothing that rivals him. And then we see that it's because he is fully God and fully man that his death on the cross was powerful enough to offer salvation to everyone. And now... In verses 24 through 29, Paul begins to explain the impact that that has on his life and on his ministry. Because when we understand the gospel, it changes the way that we enter into suffering. When we understand the gospel, it changes the way that we enter into difficulty. Paul was not glossing over the reality that difficult things happen. And many of you are wrestling with that t tonight even. Because you hear that Jesus is worthy, that he's powerful, that he is deserving of all of your praise. And that if I believe that it should change the way I live, that I should be willing to give anything for Jesus. And you're wrestling with that because you know that that's going to mean changes when you go home. You know that means you have to interact with your friends differently. You know that that means you have to change the way you talk. You know that that means it, you have to change the way you spend your time, and you're wrestling with that. But can I just encourage you, Paul doesn't gloss over the fact that suffering is a real part of the Christian experience. He knows, and Jesus knows, and so he doesn't overlook it. He's not oblivious to the fact that suffering happens. And the reality is this, that an accurate view of who Jesus is doesn't ignore the reality of suffering and it doesn't ignore the reality of sacrifice. Instead, what it does is it gives us an anchor to be able to see through the fog, to see through the mist of suffering, to say, Jesus is worth it and to keep pushing forward. And that's what Paul does. It gives us a foundation to stand on. And friends, that should be a huge, huge encouragement because every person here knows what it's like to suffer. 
Nobody's immune. Nobody's getting out of life without that being a reality. Every one of us here knows what it's like to suffer. Grief is not tame. All of creation is groaning, waiting for the day that Jesus comes back and makes all things right. But until then, we live in this tension where Jesus is all-powerful and he's defeated death, but my life sometimes is really, really hard. That's the tension we live in. And somewhere in between there, we're trying to make sense of that and to figure out what that looks like. And Paul isn't ignoring that. He's not glossing over that. And you say, okay, so if suffering's not wasted, if Jesus is in the midst of it, if suffering is doing something in my life, then what's it doing, right? If Jesus is all-powerful and he could take it away, but I still suffer, what is it doing? And what's he using it for? So we're gonna look here in verse 24 at the message that suffering declares, and then we're going to keep moving through this passage and just see what does Paul say about suffering? What does he say about sacrifice, and how does it relate to the gospel that we believe? So look with me in verse 24. It says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. That's crazy. He's rejoicing in his sufferings. He says, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. And as you read these verses, a couple of questions should probably come to your mind, right? So Paul says, I rejoice in my suffering. So that should be like, whoa, that's awesome. But then he says something that's really, really weird. He says, in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. So we just looked this morning. Jesus' death is powerful enough to save. Is Paul now saying that there's something missing in the death of Jesus? That maybe Jesus didn't suffer enough, and so now Paul has to do that for Jesus? Is that what he's saying? If he is, it's heresy. But I don't think that's what he's saying. What is he saying? You know what I think he's saying, and I'm going to hopefully show you. I think what Paul is saying is not that Jesus' death isn't powerful enough to save, not that it's lacks sufficiency or that it's not sufficient enough, but I think what Paul is saying is that as he suffers... He's making Christ's suffering known to the world. That as he experiences hardship, he's able to communicate the love of Jesus to the world. Look with me at Philippians chapter 2. Turn with me there. And the situation in Philippians is this, that Paul is in prison at Rome. And the church of Philippi love Paul, and they get together and they say, we want to do a gift, we want to give a gift to Paul. And so they gather this gift and then they send Epaphroditus to go and give it. And here's what Paul says about Epaphroditus because he nearly, actually, he nearly dies as he's trying to deliver this gift. He says this, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So notice that, to complete what was lacking in your service to me, it's the exact same wording as we see in Colossians. So the church of Philippi, they got together this gift. It was complete. The whole gift was there. Epaphroditus goes and he delivers it. And Epaphroditus' act of presenting the gift to Paul is filling up what was lacking in their gift to Paul. Jesus, according to Paul in Colossians died, he suffered, his death is sufficient, and by us suffering 
like Jesus, not exactly like Jesus, but like Jesus, we are presenting Christ's suffering to a lost and dying world. So what is lacking? It's not the power to save. It's the presentation to a lost and dying world. And I believe this is what Paul means. So maybe we can illustrate it this way. There are millions and millions of people in the world who don't know Jesus. And we saw this morning, this is not all the water in the Grand Canyon, by the way, but we'll just imagine Jesus, fully God, fully man, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. And it's because of that that his death was sufficient. He comes and he takes all kinds of suffering. It's going to take me a bit here. I'm still in it too. We'll just imagine that all of this is suffering and sickness and everything. He dies on the cross. He's hung. Comes down and is laid in a tomb. He suffers to make redemption possible. He dies on our behalf to make redemption possible. But there are millions of people across the world who don't know that. They don't know that Jesus died for them. They don't know that Jesus suffered on their behalf. They don't know that he loves them, that holy God became man to die in their place. They don't know that. How are they going to know? And so what happens? You and I come along. And we suffer And go through difficulty. And experience hardship. And we sacrifice for the gospel. We say, you know what? Jesus is worth it. And because Jesus is worth it, I'm going to take hits for the gospel. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to speak up when it doesn't make sense. I'm going to give up things that are hard because I love Jesus and it's worth it, right? And what happens? When you and I suffer For the sake of the gospel, what's happening is it's filling up what's lacking in the afflictions of Christ. That's sufficient already, but what it's doing is it's saying, hey, you see my suffering? It's a picture of what Jesus did, right? Hey, you see this? You see what I'm willing to give up? It's a picture of what he did because he loves you. And it's not adding to Jesus' death. He already died. His death is sufficient, but it's saying, hey, hey, I have something that you want. It's worth giving everything up for. I have it. It's right here. Take it. Drink it. Love it. Treasure it. And so what Paul's not saying is that Jesus' death is somehow lacking. How could it? He's eternal. What Paul is saying is that when you and I are willing to suffer like Jesus did, it's putting out the message of the gospel in a way that nothing else can and saying, hey, I'm willing to give up everything for this because I believe it and because it's true. There is nothing that I treasure more than Jesus. And can I just give you some of him? If my suffering can present him to you, of course I would do that. It's a no-brainer. And so Paul's not saying that Jesus' is suffering or that his death on the cross is somehow insufficient. He's saying it's filling it up. It's presenting it to the world. And that as you and I suffer, it's presenting the gospel and presenting Christ's suffering to a lost and dying world. And you say, of course. Nick, I get it. Evangelism needs to happen. 
I get it. More people need to hear the gospel. And what Paul is saying is even more than that. He's not simply saying that evangelism needs to happen or that people need to hear the gospel, though those are both true. He's saying it's through suffering and through sacrifice that the gospel is going to be made known most clearly. He's saying that it's through your sacrifice and you're willing to give up things that you love for the gospel that millions of people across the world are going to hear and know who Jesus is. That They're going to be able to taste and see that Jesus is the biggest treasure and the greatest treasure that you could ever have. There's about 4,000 unreached people groups. Most of them live in the 1040 window, and there's no way that they're going to be reached with the gospel apart from suffering and sacrifice. There's about 216,000 people in the Des Moines area, and probably only 10% of those have any kind of Bible teaching that is legitimate in their life. That means that over 100,000 people really don't have a good understanding of who Jesus is. And it's only through suffering and only through, through sacrifice that those people are going to come to know Jesus in a significant way. And throughout all of history, this has remained true. Wherever you see God on the move, wherever you see the gospel moving forward and having profound impacts in the lives of people, it has always been accompanied by su- sacrifice and, uh, <laughs> and suffering. Excuse me. It's always been accompanied by suffering and accompanied by sacrifice every single time. And so if you and I want to be people that are making disciples, if you and I want to be people that are sold out for Christ and whose lives are declaring with everything that we do that Jesus is worth it, it's going to have to come with suffering. It's going to have to come with sacrifice. We have to be willing to give up things. Jesus said it himself. We just read it. If anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. Paul says that if anyone wishes to live a godly life in Christ, they will suffer. It's part of of being a believer. This is what suffering and sacrifice declares. It screams to the world that Jesus is more satisfying than anything you could ever attain or hold on to. And so my encouragement to you is do something that only makes sense if you're gonna be raised from the dead. We can do something that only makes sense if we're raised from the dead because we have hope that goes beyond this life. And so if Jesus is really valuable, we can give up things that no one else would want to give up. We can suffer in ways that no one else would suffer in because we're not living for this life, we're living for the next. And if that's true, if that's the life that I'm called to live, you say, why would I do that? Nick, why does that even make sense? And it's because of the hope that sustains us. So look with me at verses 25 through 27. Paul says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we see that Paul was given a stewardship He was given the responsibility to declare a message. You say, what was the message? It was the mystery hidden from ages and generations. What is it? It's Christ in you. The almighty God, the one who spoke the universe into existence, lives inside of you by faith. He's taking up residence inside of you right now if you believe in him. Whoa, that's a huge deal. 
And so the reality that almighty God is living in you. Jesus, the very image of God, has taken up residence in you. And it's because of that that we have the hope of glory and the hope that we'll see future glory. That this life is not all that there is. That there's more coming if we placed our faith in Jesus. A couple months ago, I read this story about a monk. He was interviewed by a TV reporter, and the interviewer asked the monk, if you were to realize at the end of your life that atheism is true and that there is no God, tell me, what if it happened that way? And the monk replied, holiness, silence, and sacrifice are beautiful in themselves, even without promise of reward. I would have still used my life well. Wrong. I disagree. Because Paul says in Colossians 15, or 1 Corinthians 15, 19, he says this, if in Christ we have hope only in this life, we of all people are to be most pitied. If what you do and the suffering that you walk through in this life is only to make yourself feel good about how moral of a person you are, to feel good that you helped a brother out, you helped a sister out, you and I are gathering together here in a way that should be pitied. What we're doing doesn't make sense if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. It doesn't. And so the reality is this, that we have a future glory. We have a future hope that we're looking to. You say, why would I suffer? Why would I sacrifice? Because it's doing something. That this light momentary affliction cannot compare with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And we are waiting in anticipation for the day that Jesus comes and makes all of it right. Because it's amazing to think about. And so it's not wasted and he goes on and he explains in verse 28 the purpose of suffering. He says this, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And so Paul is not just going around aimlessly. He's not just saying, hey, I'm suffering and also there's hope coming. He's going around saying, hey, my suffering is presenting Jesus to people in a way that nothing else can. There's future hope that makes it worth it. And my aim is to present everyone mature in Christ. His goal is that the people in his life would grow in their understanding of who Jesus is, that they would see something in his life. And they'd say, I want some of that. I want to grow in that way. And so it has an aim. It has an aim. And then the last thing that we see here in verse 29 is this, that he gives us the energy to suffer, and to sacrifice well. Verse 29 says, For this, pointing back to what he just said, that he may present everyone mature in Christ, I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. And do you see there's a tension going on here? That on the one hand, Paul is struggling, he's toiling, he's laboring for the gospel in a way that is hard and difficult, but how is he doing it? With all the energy that is powerfully worked in him. And the truth of the matter is this, that the Christian life takes work. It's hard. It's not always easy. Proclaiming the gospel, suffering and sacrificing for the sake of the gospel doesn't usually feel like skipping through a bed of roses. It doesn't. It's hard. It's difficult. It feels like a toil. A lot of times when I think about this, I think of the missionary stories that you read growing up, right? You hear these stories of people that just did crazy stuff for the Lord. 
and they went through hard things. They didn't have food, and then the Lord like showed up and gave them food last minute or right before they're about to die. They left people they loved. They got sick and were hunted by people, and you're like, wow, that's crazy. And then you see how it ended, and you're like, I want to be a part of that. I want to be used by God in that way. That guy like led hundreds of people to the Lord. Let me be a part of that. And everybody wants to be a part of a movement. Everybody wants to be a part of God doing something awesome in their generation. Everybody does. Nobody here in this room says, yeah, I just want to waste my life. I want to grow to be 70, make some money, provide for my family, and then die. Everybody here wants to be a part of a movement, but not very many people are willing to put in the suffering and the sacrifice that it takes to get there because God used people in some very significant ways. But all of them had to give something up. They had to die to themselves. They had to take up their cross and they had to follow the Lord. I love it. I just finished reading Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, like two days ago. And it's so cool. Sam and Frodo, they're sitting on the top of this staircase, like getting ready. It's top of Minas Morgul, if you even care. And they're getting ready to go into Shelob's lair. And if you don't know the story, Shelob is like this massive, terrifying, like zombie spider thing. And she just like doesn't care what people think and will kill you without even like thinking about it twice, right? And they're sitting here, and they're a part of this big picture. They're trying to take the ring, to throw it in the cracks of Mount Doom. All of Middle Earth hangs on their success. It's a big deal, folks. It's not a small deal. Just two little hobbits, probably like not even that tall. And they're sitting here on the top, and Sam leans over to Mr. Frodo, and he says, Mr. Frodo, I wonder if we'll ever be in stories. I wonder if they'll ever write stories about us like they did in the old tales. You remember like the people that fought dragons and did this and that. And Frodo goes, I don't think we're going to make it back for that. He's just starting to realize like I probably could go to Mount Doom and we don't even have food to make it back to this far. And Sam goes, yeah, but that's how it always was in the stories. The heroes didn't know that they were a part of a story. They didn't feel like they were a part of a story. And most of them didn't even know if they're going to make it to the end of the story to tell anyone. And Frodo goes, yeah, that's probably right. And Sam starts telling all about Mr. Frodo and what he did. And Frodo goes, yeah, but I don't think I would have made it without Sam. Tell about Sam. What about him, the way that he helped do this and that and the other? And the reality is that's true for us too. We look at the stories of missionaries. We see the way that God worked and we're like, I want to be a part of that. But then we sit in the middle of our circumstances and we say, this is so hard. Lord, why are you letting this happen to me? This is difficult. I don't know what I'm going to do. And it doesn't feel glamorous. And the reality is this, that suffering and sacrifice doesn't feel glamorous. At camp, we talk about it. We say, you need to suffer and to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. And you say, I want to be a part of that. And then we go home on Monday and we're like, it's hard. I don't want to get made fun of by my friends for sharing my faith. I don't want to be the odd man out. I don't want to be the one that everyone looks at funny when I go and I'm kind to somebody who's maybe weird or odd. It's hard. It's difficult. And the reality is this, that suffering and sacrifice and being a part of something bigger that God is doing doesn't ever feel glamorous. I guarantee you the missionaries sitting at their house with no food praying that God would provide we're not like yes this is amazing we're part of something awesome they're gonna write stories about us they're like we're hungry this is hard I don't like this I'm not providing for my family we're gonna die 
that's what was going through their mind. And the reality is that it doesn't often feel glamorous. It feels like missing home when you obey the call to go. It feels like awkwardly wondering if you said the right thing when people respond in an uninterested way to the gospel. It feels like patiently doing the right thing in the face of adversity. It feels like turning down opportunities to make more money or spending more money in order to serve where God has called you. It feels like looking things like your parents' divorce, being bullied, getting made fun of, bad grades, and whatever else it is that you're facing. It feels like looking that in the face and saying, it's hard. I feel the weight of that, but Jesus is more valuable than anything that I could ever own or possess, and I'm willing to declare that through the things that I'm walking through right now. That's what it feels like. It's hard. It's saying that I still trust God, and the gospel is worth sacrificing. It doesn't feel glamorous. It doesn't, guys. It feels really, really hard, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Because what we talked about this morning is still true. That Jesus spoke the universe out by the word of his power. That he holds everything together without even trying. And that he loved you and he loved me enough to come and give himself up as a sacrifice for rebels. And I'm telling you, when that sinks in and you understand that, you realize that that is the greatest treasure that you could ever own. And there is nothing, nothing that could come along and say it's more valuable than that. And so what I'm not telling you tonight is that suffering and sacrifice is super fun. That would be dishonest of me. It would be irresponsible of me. Jesus said to count the cost, right? That would be irresponsible of me to say it's awesome all the time. Because it's not always fun. It's hard. It's difficult. And it doesn't feel good very often. But what I can tell you is that Jesus is the most amazing person that you can ever have a relationship with, that he is more powerful than you could ever know or understand. And I'm telling you right now, both by experience and because of what the word of God teaches, that there is not a greater joy that you will ever walk through than to be able to look suffering and sacrifice right in the face and say, I am exactly where God wants me to be. This hurts so bad, but it is worth every minute of it because it's declaring to the world that Jesus is the most valuable thing in your life in a way that nothing else can. There's no greater joy, guys. I'm telling you, if you choose to embrace this, there's gonna be nights where you cry yourself to sleep because life is hard where you'll give up things that you never thought you'd give up, and the whole time you'll say, this is hard, but it's worth it. And people will look and be like, I don't get that. And you're like, I know, but Jesus is worth it. And they'll say, that's hard. And you're like, I know, but Jesus is worth it. And you will not get to the end of your life and regret suffering and sacrificing for the sake of the gospel. You won't. In fact, you'll get to the end of your life, and just like Sam and Mr. Frodo, you'll write a book maybe called There and Back Again. And you'll be able to trace step by step by step by step the ways that you gave up things, that you sacrificed things, and that you took steps that didn't make sense because you believed that Jesus was worthy of everything that you have. And you'll look back and you'll say, I'm so thankful that God allowed me to do that. It was worth every bit of it. And so I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying that it's the best all the time in the sense of fun. 
but it's worth it. And so the question for every person here tonight is, are you willing to suffer for the gospel? Are you willing to sacrifice for the gospel? Are you willing to give up things for the sake of the gospel? And if you are, I promise you this, God will give you opportunities to do that. He'll give you privileges and the honor of doing that. And it will be hard at times, it will. But it will scream to the world in a way that nothing else can that I have found my greatest treasure. His name is Jesus, and I would gladly sacrifice anything. I would gladly go anywhere. I would gladly do whatever he calls me to do because he's worth it. And he is. I believe that. I'm learning that more and more. I hope you believe it, and I hope you're willing to embrace it. And I'm telling you right now, we have a group of 300 students that hold tightly to that truth. Look out, world. God's going to do really, really great things through the students in this room. I believe that, and I'm excited to see it happen. Let me pray with you. Lord, it is humbling for us to think that as the creator of the universe, you are willing to come and to take our place, to die on the cross, and to offer yourself as a sacrifice for our sins. And Lord, now, one of the greatest blessings that you invite us into is the privilege of being like Christ, not only in the way that we live, but in the suffering that we endure. And man, that is hard sometimes. It was hard for Jesus. He did not look forward to dying on the cross for our sins, and yet now as believers, we get to identify with that. We're never more like Jesus than we, when we get to suffer and to sacrifice for him. And Lord, I realize that what your word says and what I'm asking and calling us to tonight is not easy. But Lord, I get so excited to think of what you could do with students if we were just willing to grab a hold of this truth, to say Jesus is the greatest treasure that I have and I'm not letting go of him. And so God, I just pray that you would use the students in this room to just do incredible things for you. Lord, the harvest is plentiful and the labors are few. And I pray that from this group of students right here, that you would just do incredible things for eternity. And Lord, we will give you all the praise and all the glory because we realize that you're the one enabling it and empowering it to happen. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.